That was a lot of fun as uh, we gathered together and uh, just had a great time. I know we kind of did this uh, at one point, but I, I want to give a special thanks to Stephanie. Please stand up. And uh, Marissa, please stand up. I know Marissa's here somewhere. They are, they are our deacons of social and fellowship, so they were really the ones that spearheaded. I know they had a whole team that worked with them, and so thank you to everyone that helped out uh, just preparing and making such a, a wonderful day, uh, but it really was a great day. And so now this morning, we jump back in the deep end of our series on counterfeit gods, and uh, we've been in this for a few weeks, and uh, I've been looking forward to this series because I'll admit that uh, God has done some work in my own heart and as I have studied these things, we're, we're, a lot of this is taken from a book by that, by that title, Counterfeit Gods, by Tim Keller. And I had in mind to take this book along with me on my retreat this past summer. And uh, I thought, this is going to be a, a great, we uh, great week that Chelsea and I, my wife and I, we have a spiritual retreat every year where we go away to a retreat center. And uh, it's kids-free, which is crucial for a, for a, a good spiritual retreat. And uh, so we dropped the kids off at Grandpa and Grandma's house, and uh, we began to prepare our hearts to have a week just in terms of spending time in prayer and in the scriptures and uh, being together but the, the problem was I had all of these plans to read the book and to do these things, but I could not get my mind to focus. Just before the tre retreat, a few days be, uh, before the retreat, I had a conversation with someone, and it was a long and difficult for me personally conversation, and it was quite lengthy, uh, full of a lot of criticisms and complaints and uh, things that were hard for me to hear. And as I'm on this retreat, uh, I, uh, the first day I was like, okay, let me just get this out of my mind and focus on why I am here. And, uh, and then one day turns into two days and three days, and I think I'm blow my whole retreat mulling over this conversation in my mind. And it's frustrating to me. And, uh, and then it dawns on me that perhaps the reason that this conversation is so disturbing to me is exactly what I need to wrestle with on this retreat. In fact, maybe the reason that these things were so hard for me was it because it pointed to the counterfeit God within my own heart. Things that I looked towards uh, in my own life bring me uh, joy and satisfaction and fulfillment. And all of these criticisms were attacks on those things. And all of a sudden, what was so frustrating for me was received with gratitude. Kind of like uh, Abraham climbing the mountain with son Isaac, not wanting to sacrifice his son, but in the hindsight you think, well, that was a gift from the Lord. Because maybe it pointed out the idols that could, uh, that could have taken root in his own life. And these things were uh, the idols that could take root in my own heart. Do I seek the approval of 
this person or any group of people? Or do I seek the approval of God himself? Do I seek to find my uh, success in life by what I can accomplish and achieve? Or is it by the righteousness of Christ that is placed upon me? Is it uh, that I seek to progress further and further in life with my family or with, my, or with the ministry, or whatever it be? Do I seek to continue to strive forward? Or am I able to be satisfied in God alone? And all of a sudden, things began to take root, and I realized this is actually counterfeit gods in practice for these things to take in my own heart. And this is the work that the Lord has been doing in my heart that I hope God will begin to cultivate in each and every one of us within our that we would recognize those rival gods that can, uh, that can rise up in our heart that would steal away our single-minded uh, focus and affection on Jesus himself. It is so important. In fact, I believe this is the message for us as a church and as Christians today. The heart of the Bible's message is, will we worship God alone or will we worship others? Other things, other people. The worship literally means to ascribe worth and value to, to something. And, to, uh, and, and so often there are things that rise up within our own hearts that we ascribe worth and value to, that we find our identity in. And so I'm going to challenge us today. This is kind of getting at the heart of this sermon series to ask ourselves some real intentional questions. Why is it so hard for you to let this or that go? These things that turn over and over again in our minds. Why is it so... Why are these things or this person or this pursuit, why is it so important for you? And why are you finding your worth, value, and identity in anything but Jesus himself? Our hearts are, uh, as one uh, preacher said, idle factories. We are constantly in pursuit of something. And uh, one of the worst punishments that God could give us is this to give you over to the desires of your heart. These things that we have within our own hearts that drive us forward, that pull us, that call us towards one thing or another, one of the worst punishments he can give us is give us the desires of our hearts. I believe that's part of what Paul says here in Romans chapter 1, the verses that we want to look at this morning. In Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 18, it says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what... has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God 
the glory of immortal God for images made to look like mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over, here's this verse, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshipped and served created created things rather than the creator who is forever to be praised. That's that exchange, that, that form of idolatry that we would that we would worship and serve the created thing rather than the creator. Let's go before the Lord just for a moment and ask for his help in prayer. Father God, we come before you humbly now and ask that you would be our teacher. God, we pray that in the few minutes that we have together that you would, that you would take your truth and awaken it in our hearts. And I realize that our minds could race in a million different directions but God, right now, more than anything, what we need is we need you to speak to us and, and awaken us to who you are and how much you love us. And so, God, we pray that you would come and, and you would help us to get a grasp on our hearts, work in our hearts, help us to examine our hearts and, and ultimately to, to uh, turn them over to you. And so we pray that you would bless this message. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me go back just real quick to the uh, passage and highlight. We're going to make a few observations from the text. But the first thing I want to draw our attention to comes from verse 21 where it says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified, uh, God, glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their fu foolish hearts were darkened. I think there's two kinds of knowing. First of all, there is a knowing with our minds. It says that the, although they know God, although they knew God, they, they had an understanding, they had an intellectual understanding of who God was and what He wanted from them. They could, they could pass a multiple choice uh, theology quiz. They knew God in their minds, but unfortunately it didn't affect their hearts. It didn't affect how they lived. They, they did not glorify God nor give thanks to Him. The second kind of knowing is we can know with our hearts. It's an emotional knowledge. And when we consider these two types of knowing, intellectual knowledge and an emotional knowledge, I just want to say when it comes to our spiritual lives and how we, not only our spiritual lives, but all of our lives, how we live, what we choose to do, what the decisions that we make, they always flow from an emotional knowledge. You see, I know all kinds of things mentally that I do not do. You know, I know uh, that I'm not supposed to eat ice cream before bed, but you know what? I like ice cream. There's an emotional knowledge there, and I eat ice cream before bed. And I know a lot of facts and figures that high school uh, days that I have that affect that don't affect me one iota in how I live. And the same could be true for us spiritually. We know lots of things about what God wants us to do and what God doesn't want us to do. But what we will follow through on is not what we know mentally, but what we know in our hearts. And so just as the verse that, uh, that Jose read from Proverbs, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. 
not from your mind, but from your heart. More than your mind, your heart influences what you do. You see, we are lovers by nature. It's part of how God has made us. We are created to love. And the things that our hearts love and desire are the things that we will pursue. And that's where idolatry comes in. Do we love and desire those things more than we love and desire uh, God himself? Now, people in the Old Testament times, in ancient times, they had all kinds of idols. Idols of wood and stone that they would, uh, that they would build and they would say, now this idol is an idol of good uh, harvest. And they'd bow down to that idol and say, this is an idol of fertility. And they'd bow down to that idol. And this is an idol for my family or, my, or for good weather. And they'd bow down to all those idols. The idols that they created were the, uh, described the desires they had in their hearts. And we do the same thing. Now, we might not build idols of wood and stone, but we pursue after so many things that are in our hearts. And what we give our time to, what we give our uh, 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 money to, what we give our mental energy to, uh, those things point to our great loves and our desires that are buried deep within our hearts. Paul says here in this passage, in verse 18, that the wrath of God is being revealed uh, from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness because they suppress the truth with their wickedness. When we talk about these things, God is not passive. God is not sitting by on the sidelines saying, saying, hey, you do whatever you want. We must know that God is active and he desires our hearts. And when our hearts are dominated by godlessness and it breaks his heart. And for us to be able to follow after those things, we suppress the truth in our hearts. We seek to justify these things in our lives that, uh, that seem so important to us by saying maybe there's good there or at least we don't acknowledge it. I had a high school buddy, and, and this almost seems ridiculous, but I had a high school buddy who would uh, brag all the time about how much pornography he had. And it just kind of makes you sick when you think about it for a minute. But there's something that could be so evil would be something that we brag about. And now I'm sure no one here would brag about their, their porn collection. I hope not. But we do brag about all kinds of things, right? I brag about how busy I am as if something that... Uh, as if something, that is something to be proud of. To be busy would point, uh, maybe to be busy points to an idol within my own heart that takes me away from service to God or love of my family. And we brag about the new car we get or the toys that we got or the, or the uh, big house that we have. And what we, rec- what we don't recognize is all of these things point to things that are quite ugly within our hearts. We suppress the truth of God in our own wickedness. Tim Keller says in this book, Counterfeit Gods, many Christians today are just as materialistic as everyone else in our culture. And that's a problem. That's a true statement, and that's a problem. And it's a problem not only because we're materialistic, it's a problem because it doesn't anger us within our own hearts. We have suppressed the truth where we don't even recognize it. Not that God is opposed to money or to 
or to material things, but he is opposed to selfishness and to greed and to pride. And those are the deep idols that rise up in our hearts. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. And beyond cure. Who can understand it? And surely the one person that can understand the heart is God himself. And he challenges our heart. And he says, what are we seeking? And what are we living for? James K. Smith, in his book, You Are What You Love, writes this. To be human is to be animated and oriented towards some vision of the good life, some picture of what we think counts as flourishing. See, these are the things that we chase after. Whatever we think is going to provide the good life, what, what we think is, counts as flourishing, and we want that, we crave it, we desire it. This is why our most fundamental mode of orientation it, to the world is love. We are oriented by our longings, uh, directed by our desires. And so this is, if this is our hearts, it's a pretty dim picture. In fact, it's quite depressing. Is there any hope? Is there an answer? Well, we get a glimmer of hope in verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Now, I realize that that verse, when, you, when we read it, I'm sure Paul meant this to be condemnation, that this is an ugly mark against us, that God is so obvious that we would not recognize them. But at least we can take hope in the fact that God is revealing himself to us, in the fact that God is showing himself in creation. And now the thing is, how do we transfer that knowledge that we have in our minds, that we see all around us, because God's creation does tell us who he is. The fact that we have such a beautiful creation around us does not speak to God's power and in God's magnificence. Uh, the last couple of days, I discovered a few uh, trails in my, around where I live. I had no idea that they were there. And I've uh, hiked three of them now. It's the most fun to be out and just in God's creation and to see the beauty. The fact that the sun rises every day points to God being faithful to us. The fact that, uh, that, that God does, that God continues to provide for us food and oxygen, all these things, just simply uh, declares to us that he loves us and he cares for us. And so there is a hope. Now, how do we move that head knowledge to our heart? And that is where it's an examination of the idols within us. To believe these things, but emotionally. And so we need to deal with the emotions within our hearts. Tim Keller describes what he calls four deep idols in his book. And I want to highlight these. I think these are very helpful. We're going to, we've talked a lot about these various idols. Many of them are surface idols. They actually point to the deeper idols. The first idol is power idolatry. Okay, Andrew's got all of this. You don't have to write all this down. Just summarize it in your mind. It just, some, if you're going to take notes, summarize it. But here, I want to, uh, I want to put these things in our minds. Pidal, uh, a power idol Life, we say, if we have a power idol, life only has meaning. I only have worth if I have power and influence over others. 
it manifests itself in the surface idols of career and uh, and seeking to climb a a ladder, a, a corporate ladder, or even a ministry ladder, whatever it would be. But there is a power that thinks that our life will have meaning and will have worth if we have power and influence over others. An approval idol, and I'll recognize that I have to regularly crucify a approval idol in my own heart. Life only has meaning, and I only have worth if I am loved and respected by so-and-so or by a group or an individual. And we seek the approval of others, and it demonstrates itself in all kinds of ways. We seek the approval of others more than the approval of God himself. A third uh, idol, a comfort idol. Life only has meaning if I, uh, and I only have worth if I have this kind of pleasure experience, a particular quality of life. And maybe it manifests itself in just living for the vacation, living for a bigger house. I'll finally be satisfied if I can acquire this or if I can have or if I can make my life comfortable in this way. And we pursue a comfort idol. And we have to wrestle with this in our own hearts. A control idol, a deep idol of, a, of control. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if I'm able to get mastery over my life in the area of fill in the blank. It could be education, it could be a career, it could be our kids and, and our family. If we can just get them to behave in a certain way, then finally our life will have meaning and value. And all of these deep idols will not ultimately satisfy the way that God has created us to live. I think it was about day three or four on my retreat, I got really frustrated and I said, okay, I'm going to go and ask to meet with one of the ministers at, at the retreat center. And, uh, and I explained to him, you know, I just, I have these thoughts that are, rest, that are stirring up in my own heart. And I, and, I, and I was explaining to him, I see that these things point to things. That the problem is not what was said. The problem is what is in my own heart. And, uh, and I explained to him what was going on. And this, is, this was his response. The words of this one person are speaking to you more loudly than the words of Christ. And how often do we let that happen in our lives? That the words of an individual or the words of culture and the message that's all around us speak more loudly to us than what Christ proclaims on the cross. And when we look at Jesus on the cross, can we not hear him speaking clearly that he loves us, that we are accepted, that we have value in his eyes, that his righteousness is upon us and we cannot earn it, that we are his children, and he just keeps speaking those things over and over and over again, and yet we let so carry more weight than the voice of Jesus himself. And so the answer to all of this is not to dig our our heels and to say, I'm not going to live for those things anymore. I'm done with them. I'm going to change my life. The answer is far different. The answer is simply to hear the words of Christ and let, the, let those things sink deep within our hearts. Keller says, direct appeals like, like, uh, like what I've just mentioned won't work because the deep idols have to, do, have to be dealt with at the heart level. 
there is only one thing to change at the heart level. There is only one thing that can change at the heart level, and that is through faith in the gospel. The gospel is what can change our hearts. Now, the words of others may be more tangible because we hear them audibly. And the words of the culture may be, uh, seem more realistic because we're bombarded uh, with these messages all the time. But the words of another are not true, and the words of the culture are not life-giving. Only the words of Jesus from the, truth, from the cross are truth and life. They tell us of his love, forgiveness, and acceptance. And so now let me go back to that first statement I gave us today. That if one of the worst punishments that God can give us is to turn us over to the desires of our hearts, then one of the best gifts he could give us is to give us a new heart. To come into our hearts and to transform us from the inside out by the Holy Spirit that lives in us. Like the Old Testament prophet says, to take our hearts of stone and to give us hearts of flesh. We are changed so that our hearts are conformed to the image of Christ. And that requires a recalibration of our heart's habits and the recapturing of our imagination, which happens when God's Word becomes the orienting center of our social uh, imagination, shaping our very perception of things before we think about them. So in other words, God needs to come in and uh, change our loves and our desires so that we pursue after those things. Verse 25 in this passage says that we are made by God, we are created for Him, and that, and we are created to know Jesus. In other words, to be fully who God wants us to be, we find ourselves in the relationship for which He created us. And so the gospel message is the way we learn to be fully alive. It is God's truth for our hearts. Let me, let me just, I know I've been giving us a lot of information. Let me just say that last sentence again. The, the gospel message is the way that we learn to be fully alive. It's God's truth for our hearts. In this passage, Paul talks about doing an exchange. He says, we exchange the glory of God for created things, and we exchange the truth of God for a a lie. I'd like to uh, do an exchange right now. Does someone here have a $20 bill? This is going to be a great exchange. Jose, take out your $20 bill. I'm about to do a ridiculous thing, and I'm going to take, I'm going to exchange a $20 bill for a $100 bill. And uh, that's, that's an amazing uh, exchange. I printed this off this morning and it looks so real. That's going to buy you a lot of tacos this afternoon, Jose. And uh, that's, a, that's an amazing exchange. And how stupid it is that he took that money. But how dumb it is We make this exchange all the time. The love of God for the love of others, it's a stupid exchange. The truth of God for the lies of everything else is a stupid exchange. And yet we get caught up in this all the time. Why? Because hearts are idol factories. Now the good news news is God does trade backs. Okay, so I'll trade you back. I'm not a 
mean pastor that takes 20 bucks for money printed on computer paper. But here's the trade back of God. He takes our sinful, deceitful, counterfeit God's uh, hearts and he trades them and he gives us a new heart. He gives us a new life. A life that is found in him. Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And so the question that Jesus leaves us with this morning is, do you love me? Do you love me more than all of these other things? Do you love me? Before Jesus uh, went to the cross, he told Peter that on the night when he was betrayed and tried, uh, Peter would disown him three times. Peter said, no way! There's not a chance, Lord. I'll, I'll be with you to the death. I'll fight with you to the la- very last moment. And that's what uh, Peter fully believed in his mind. He had an intellectual understanding that was, that was deep, and he believed that with all his heart. Then, uh, while Jesus was being tried by Pontius Pilate, Paul, uh, Peter was mingling around in the city, and someone recognized him. Hey, aren't you one of those that are a follower of Jesus? And Peter says, no, 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 you've mistaken me for someone else. And he goes about his business, and again, someone, I recognize you, you're one of those disciples. Uh, you're a disciple of Jesus. And, Paul, and Peter says, no, you got me mixed up for somebody. And then just a little girl says, yeah, you are. You're one of his. You belong to Jesus of Nazareth. And with a curse, Peter says, I never knew him. Get away from me. And in that moment, the rooster crows, just like Jesus predicted it, uh, it would. And I don't know where Jesus was at the time, but I'm sure he heard the rooster and he knew exactly what had happened. Peter flees into the night, into the city, and uh, so full of shame and guilt that he would have denied that he even knew Jesus. After three days, Jesus was still dead and Peter was still racked with guilt. Uh, He said, I got to escape. I got to get out and do something that I love to do. And so he went to his fishing boat and gathered his nets and he was out on the water catching nothing until someone from the shore uh, yells to him, hey, throw your net down on the other side. It's a ridiculous statement. Why would you catch, not catch fish on this side, but on this side of the boat you would? But for some reason, Peter did, and all of a sudden, the nets were full until they were breaking. And Peter, and it dawned on Peter who this must have been. There's no one else that could have known that or said that and that be true. And so the, boat, the boat's too full of fish. The nets are torn. He just He wants to get to Jesus as fast as he can, so he jumps in the water and he swims to the shore. They embrace with a hug and gather around a fire that Jesus has prepared to cook breakfast. And as they sit there watching the flames dance in the fire, Jesus asks him, Peter, do you love me? And Peter, again, he he turns to a intellectual, mental understanding. He says, Lord, you know that I love you. They turn the fish over and they 
watch the fire some more. And again, Jesus asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And after a moment, uh, Jesus asks the question a third time. And this time, Peter's hurt by what is said. Peter, do you really love me? Do you love me more than all these other things? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Somewhere along the lines, the knowledge that Peter had had been transferred the 16 inches from his mind to his heart because he goes on to live for the Lord the rest of his life. But I wonder if he were to be here and he asked us the same question this morning, uh, what, how would we respond? Do you love me? The application of today's message is to let the truth of the gospel penetrate your heart so deeply that when you follow your heart's desires, you desire and love the things that God desires and love. In other words, in our hearts to crucify any uh, to crucify any deep idols that may dwell there, to ask God to come and to be our supreme love. By the end of the retreat, God had done a work in my heart that I knew was going to be ongoing, that it was going to be heart, that this penetrating the heart was going to be a process. And so what I decided to do was to write a creed, all the things that I believe about God and about myself in Christ with the hopes that if I read them and I meditated on these words and I, and I prayed on them that eventually it would sink into my heart so that I was guarding my heart above all else and that it, and that it would affect how I live my life. I, I'm not going to read it all but I want to read a couple portions of this creed. Before I do, take the cloths that are on the pew pass them down so that everyone this little cloth is uh, my way of helping us receive the truth of God into our lives. It's a, it's a tangible thing, and, uh, and you may even think it seems like a silly thing, but, but, the, but the reality is we need to let the truth of God rest upon us regularly. My creed was my way of receiving the truth of God into my heart, and I hope that as I read this, this will be your way of letting the truth of God rest upon you this morning. Go ahead and put this on your shoulders. And uh, as I read these words, as I said, this is my creed. You might not, this might not resonate exactly with you, but it's something that here that is helpful for you, receive it as the truth of God upon you this morning. The antidote to counterfeit gods is never to dig our heels in, but it is to receive the truth of God upon our lives. I believe in the words of Jesus spoken to me from the cross. I am his beloved, his child. I am cherished by God and nothing that I could ever say, think, or do could take away one sliver of his love from me. While not as tangible as the words another say to me, Christ's words 
for me hold more weight because they are the words of truth and life. I know that God would not let anything come into my life which is not ultimately for my good. I receive everything in my life as a gift from God, even those things that trouble or concern me, especially those things which, which humble me, causing me to depend on God more and reminding me that I am nothing apart from Him. I believe that my life is sufficient just as it is. I crucify the desire to progress any farther. God will give me exactly what I need without me having to strive for it. I believe that my wife, kids, church, and health are completely in God's care. And as such, it is not my responsibility to grow them or make them successful. The natural rhythms of my life as given to me by God are what is, what is best for me. I receive each day's activities and interruptions as gifts from God to me. Maybe this week is a week for you to write your own creed. Maybe it's just a week to continue to turn to God's Word and to receive His truth into your heart. But my challenge for all of us is to crucify those deep desires, those deep uh, idols that we might receive from Christ His love and affection for us. Let's pray. Father God, I thank You that You love us so much. I thank you that uh, you have given us your son Jesus and his word. His words speak loudly to us from the cross. How much you love us, how you have forgiven us, how we are your children. And we pray that this truth would rest upon us so that it transforms the way we live our lives. It transforms our relationships. It transforms the way we do our job. It transforms the way we treat our kids or our parents. It transforms the way we spend our money or our, or our free time. It just it changes everything, God, because, God, you are to be the ultimate and supreme love in our lives. So we commit ourselves to you once again. In Jesus' name, amen.